Hello and welcome to the Championship Clubs podcast. It's the new weekly show championing everything that is good about English rugby's second tier. I'm Michael Casey and I'll be hosting the series and I'm delighted to say that I'll be doing so alongside a man who could not be better qualified to talk about champ rugby, not least because he's played for nearly all the teams in champ rugby. Ben Gulliver, how are you doing? Yeah, hi Mike. Yeah, good to be here, mate. Thanks for thanks for mentioning that. But yeah, I think I'm at seven out of the, the eleven clubs this year. So yeah, you've got it's a, it's a good it's a good description of my uh, my past in the league. But obviously delighted to be here, and it's nice to be talking positively about a league that's sometimes a little bit self self deprecating. Yeah, I think let's dive into that. Obviously, we took Bedford, Pirates, Coventry, Ampton, and then, of course, spells in the Prem with uh, Worcester and Leicester. Carved out a career of over 300 games. So, I think, as you say, fair to say, a big advocate of the league. And uh, it's brought a lot to your life. And you've seen firsthand the significance of the division within English rugby. Yeah, yeah, it's... It's something I'm I'm learning to be proud of. I think sort of during during the time as a as a player and and sometimes when you when you come out of the game and you speak about your experiences in rugby and you say you're a professional rugby player and then the, the line after that and I, I always say and I don't know why I've said it but it's in the second tier and yes it is but that's still it's still a great achievement um, it's something, something I'm really proud of and I think a little bit sometimes you get a little bit you're sort of lost with the whole Premiership goal and you know that that big carrot but. What the guys are doing and what I managed to achieve in my career through the championship is something that we should all be very proud of, something that I'm really proud of. It's something that we've not, as a as a collective, really spoken about um, over the past. So it's, that's why well, it's great to have Alan on today so we can get into Alan's insight of obviously spending 20 years down at, 20 years down at the Pirates now, I think, as looking. It's a long time. So it's, you know, between us, there's a good amount of experience to talk about our own personal experiences, but also where we could see the league going and, you know, the future of it. Of course, yeah, that's what we want to do. Dive into some of the tales, some of the significance, some of the stories and some of the things that make this league truly unique and valuable. And, you know, we wanted to start this podcast with a bang. And to that end, I'm delighted to say that we're joined by a man who's played 360 games for Cornish Pirates and now sending shockwaves through the English game as joint head coach of Cornish Pirates. Alan Paver, thank you very much for joining us today on the podcast. No, it's an absolute pleasure. And thanks for giving me an opportunity just to, you know, have my say on the championship because I, I think it is a special league, a tough league. Um, and it's, um, as we'll we'll delve into, it's, it's not for the faint-hearted and, uh, you know, it is a little rough around the edges, but there is absolute value in it and that's why I'm privileged to be here to talk about it. Yeah, well, I think it'd be remiss if we didn't start talking about the Pirates, Alan, having you on the show with us for week one. I, I, I think, you, obviously, that week one result against Saracens has been the one that's really got tongues wagging within the division. Sat up here in Doncaster, you know, I've been watching with my BDI, everything that's going on down at the Manai. You're obviously, you're out there on a, on a limb down there in, in Penzance and thinking, what's, what sort of covert operation has, uh, has Paver and Castle got them going? Because I tell you what, you come out week one and, and produce a result like that. How has this off-season, um, I guess, compared to normal for you? And, and what's been the secret down in the Manai? Uh, so, look, when, when the lockdown hit and we had, we had that first initial period where everyone was off, and then there was the option to bring guys back on like the community guideline. Uh, a lot of people didn't take that option because they couldn't see really the what was happening, you know, a month or two months or even five months down the line as it ended up being quite a long time. 
But we said, look, let's get the guys back in. Let's get them just running around. Let's pass in the ball, do what we can within the guidelines. And we didn't know how to start. We really didn't. It was just an absolute mess. But we got them in and, you know, the guys were like, why are we here? Why are we training? But I said, well, what's the alternative? Sit at home. Well, drink too much. Do too little. Dwell on what possibly could be. What's going to happen? What isn't going to happen? So for us, we got them in as early as we could. Um, but it did it did come with its complications. As I say, there was a lot of questions asked. Why are we here? What are we doing? You know, we should be at home and, and have you. But as we worked through it, and just of recent times when we all started a test, it very quickly, probably the last four weeks before the season started, start to look and feel like rugby. Up until that point, it just didn't. It just didn't. You know, it felt like a fitness camp. So it's been very difficult. It's been difficult to bring in new routines and new norms. But here we are. And we have got new routines and new norms with with testing and social distancing and all the things that go with it. But the biggest difference now is that the guys have a competition. They have a focus. They have something to turn up for every day. And I didn't realise how important a weekly daily focus is to just people full stop, you know. Um, so it has been difficult in a nutshell. The Paves, just just on that is... It's, you know, so you're saying sort of four weeks out before you actually you've got a full rugby schedule in, and then previous to that, it is very sort of individual and small sided stuff. So, like you say, we're all sort of process driven in this in this game, and if, if there is no process, if you worry about players' sort of health and you know where where they're going and they and they may drift. So I suppose that that side of it, how how as a group of coaches and, and as a club, have you managed to? support the players individually or, and then collectively or are they are they it's like my time back they're very self-policing is it is it still that sort of support network down there or is there something sort of formal in place from you guys there's a i've i've learned a lot over this period massive so yeah. i'll take i'll take you back to the beginning and i and i sit here we we nearly lost the players really can you believe that then or saying that does it lose them out of the club. Lose them mentally. Mentally. Oh, lose right. them. We nearly, we nearly, as as some would say, we nearly lost the changing room because we brought them back. I remember the the arguments with the staff. Yeah. Me telling them, you've got to come back in. You've got to, you know, and, and we're in this lockdown. It's remember, like I'm saying, we've got to support this program. We've got to keep going. We've got to turn up. We've got to put one foot in front of the other. And I'm telling the players that. And I mean, Gav, internally, I'm having a lot of dialogue. Do you think this is right? What, you know, what about this? What about that? And and what I what I tried to do was connect them, not just me. I mean, as a group, Morgs mm. Morgs was just like straight down the line. You know, um, he's, he's for those who don't know him, he's, he's the forwards coach there, and, and he's very much you turn up, you get your job done, and you 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 crack on kind of man. You take him to war, yeah. and we we got to a point where we were like, right, we need to connect the players to something bigger than just what's going on because. Every second word coming out of our mouths was COVID, furlough, yeah. reductions. And what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? And yeah, yeah. then it was, how am I going to pay mortgages? What happens to the league and all this stuff? And why are we here? And what are we training for? And, but this was my learning out of it all. I try to connect them to a vision of what the club was trying to do long term. It was wrong. I needed them. We needed to connect them to what it is that they wanted. So we went down. It was about eight weeks to go. And we said, right, we've got to change tact here quickly. And we said, what do you want? It was the first time we talked to them individually about what do you 
as an individual want? What are you aspiring to? What do you want on the field? What are you doing off the field? What does your life look like in a year, in two years, in five years? I wish we'd done that from the start because it changed everything overnight because then everyone's story is so different. Everyone's reasons so different. And yes, you need commonality. You need a goal. The club is going in this direction. But even the club didn't know at that point because it was the world had changed overnight. Yeah. So... The first thing was that we brought the staff in and we reconnected properly, man to man. Couldn't be done over Zoom. It yeah. couldn't be done. It had to be done face to face arguments. It had to be gritty. It had to be discussed. It had to have everything. And then from that point, then we said, right, how do we navigate these players through this? And a lot of it was just unbelief, the belief that we would get going. Yeah. So it, it, Genuinely, it was tough because we didn't know how to handle it. We'd, we'd never been here. And I suppose sort of in a, in a normal time, you, the, the league's so relentless and the, the nature of rugby is just, you're just so focused on the next one, aren't you? And yes, you have your, your long, long-term long plan in place, but it's very week-to-week, session-to-session. And then for this to come in and there, is, there isn't that, the, the questions must come from all over the place, and you don't have the answers because we've the answers aren't there because we've never been through it. So it must have been it's been a really tough. It was, and it, there's so much learning out of it. Yeah. I mean, like, and even simple things like we try to get all our players out to as many prem clubs as we could. Yeah. Some guys decided that they were going to go into work. Some guys to retired. Other guy, and it, and it just felt. And there was a there was occasion we're looking around, you know, looking around, thinking, where's everyone gone? Like, you know. So, <laughs> but there was a there was a plan. The plan was, look, let's focus on the individual. Let's get them exposure. Let's get them into an environment where they can grow. And then when we're ready, four weeks out, we'll bring them back. And hopefully we're ready to go. I imagine as a Pirates fan, because I looked a little bit, sort of you see things pop up on my my um, on my Facebook or on the Instagrams and, and all the socials. And the fans are getting really worried sort of eight, eight weeks ago going, <laughs> what, what are they doing? They're, we're not going to have any players. But the, it was part of the plan. But as part of the, the new plan, because it's, you know, Pirates has a history of, of, you know, guys going on to play in the Premiership. But to actively go out and do that and find an individual plan for that player, I think it's, it's amazing, really. And, but it, like, the perception is completely different to actually what's going on internally. Oh, yeah. Dangerous. Yeah. I'd be really uh, <laughs> interested, and obviously you said there, that getting those individual returns from from players, from staff to find out what sort of focus they had for this offseason what sort of messages came back and how you sort of unified that into sort of a, a common focus like what sort of things were players saying because obviously as you said all of us but I can imagine the the atmosphere is heightened in that professional rugby environment where where the heads are out of boys what sort of things came back to you when you <laughs> if you can share right yeah anything so it was like why is this club doing this why are they why are they, why have they started testing before us like simple things like this, right? So we sat on the community guideline and we said, look, Dickie Evans, who's our benefactor, was topping the lads up financially because we were like, some of them can't pay their wage. That's the reality of the champ. Some of these lads can't pay for their mortgage. Mm. So he was topping them up. But for us to start testing really early was a bridge too far. Financially, it was too far. So we just sat at the outer limit of what we could do with on that, uh, I think it was community E. But they're hearing all these things. Oh, why, don't, why are Donnie testing? Why are these testing? Our Ealing got pre-season games. They didn't understand the financial implication of that. We said, pay the players. We'll sit as we are. We'll deal with it. 
Dickie Evans fully on board. Club knew exactly what we were doing. We went focused on the players, get them exposure, get them paid, make sure that they're fully informed the best we can. We couldn't always inform them of everything because it was dynamic. Yeah, because I can say that's a difficult thing. And I've spoke to other guys around the league. It's the communication and where it comes from. So clearly, from when when I was playing down at Pirates, you know, these, you know, your WhatsApp groups and things, message just, they're they're around the league within five minutes, you know. Like Veeling have gone straight back in, and the, like you said, the implications of testing is it's about 30 40 grand a week, I think. Isn't it? Or something well, it was a bit, a bit less than that, actually. Yeah, it's, it's a lot it's, of money. It was less than that, but there was talk of it going to twice a week, which was, yeah. You know. mm. But think- in, a, in just to answer your question there in full, I mean, we our, our, our key message was trust us to make the right decision based on facts, not what we think is going to happen. But what are the facts right in front of our face? And we said, every club is in a uniquely different position. So every club's unique, so unique, different structures. Some are part-time players. Some are all full-time players. Some have players that, you know, have families in the area and and they've got local work. Some guys like where we are, everything was so geographically isolated. So they couldn't go home. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't travel. So each situation was was uniquely different. The the again the learning out of it. If we could have done it again, we could have communicated earlier, clearer, better, more often. Just that, but yeah. we didn't because it was so dynamic. The situation was changing so quickly. Some days we went well. We're not telling them anything because we know it's going to change tomorrow. But by the time the drums started going, how do we not know this? But they know this. So yeah, normal, all the normal stuff. Yeah, no, that was a battle that Steve Bode and the team had up here of information coming in. But then is it productive to share that information when everything's changing so quickly? But something that you went over there, Alan, which I think I really want to sort of draw out as we get into this series of podcasts is how the situation at every club is different. This is a this is a league which has got 11 clubs in this year. Obviously, London Scottish are going to miss out, which is a, a subject I'd love to talk about on another episode. But you've got 11 clubs in this division, all pe- competing week in, week out for the same prize, ultimately, effectively. How realistic that is for different scenarios, you know, it is different for each club. But there are 11 very, very different sets of situations within this club, uh, within this league. And I just think it makes the sort of the intricacy of it so, so interesting. And it, it's something that I think I would, we, we need to get out there and share and get people to get an understanding of. Because you're looking, even with the live streaming this year, you see two sides go play on TV. You're used to watching Premiership Rugby or International Rugby or even football and just think, oh, well, the, the, the two clubs are on the same thing. But actually the reality of how, different a week-to-week training regime can be for one club into another could be you know there can be worlds apart oh absolutely and and then you you know you throw it in the mix of testing now and you know even that simply has just changed the dynamic you know but yeah no i absolutely agree with you each each club has its own unique different challenges and uh and and that's what make that club special as well they've got their own identities they've got their own systems and processes and they've got their their own their own way of, uh, of of playing all the different styles. So I think it makes for a, a lovely, unique league. Yeah, with your with your situation, right, with Pirates, babes, Obviously, you, you guys are, are full time down there with with your core group of players. Is it around the thirty mark? Is that true? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then obviously with different stories around the league. You look at Bedford and their link with Saints. Do you guys at Pirates have have a an official or an unofficial link with any of the Premiership clubs? And how does that work with your dual edge and 
and loans for the year. So we have a really good relationship with with Exeter. Mm. But at the same time, you know, Exeter are trying to do the best they can with all of their different academy players. So they all play at all different levels. Yeah. They've got they've got a great system. You know, some are in the senior academy and play A-League and, and, and bounce in and out of the first team. Some guys are in a, a Taunton. Some guys are at Plymouth. You know, that's been a big outlet. Some guys are with us. So they've... They've spread the resources, okay, where they feel that player is going to get maximum benefit. So our game was born alongside of what Exeter did because we had first-hand experience. They were they were very good at sharing. Uh, and I've got to really commend that club, the players, the coaching staff, everything about it. They, they've been very supportive for us. And so our game grew alongside of that. And some of our systems and processes, uh, if we went back five years at the start of me and Gav's coaching, we decided to adopt many similar systems, not identically, because integration was easy. Yeah. If you had five lads coming from Exeter, and I remember, you know, we had Stu Townsend at nine. Well, he defends on the edge for Exeter. Well, we just went, do you know what? Let's not put a square peg in a round hole here. We've got a quality player. That system looks really good. Let's just use that system. Mm. But as as time's gone on, we haven't had the same amount of... Each year is different. Sometimes we might have one. Sometimes we might have five. Where they are within their career can be different. So we've had to diversify a little bit ourselves with Dual Reg. And we've had guys come in from WAS and and, and various different places over over the last few years. So we we have a special relationship with Exeter, but it isn't exclusive. Like we're not exclusive to them either. Yeah, and I suppose as a, as a coach, that's you know when you first start out, started out with Gav as a coach, and you're bringing on processes from other clubs. Then it's about your development as a coach and where your coaching philosophy fits with the group of players you've got, but also your experiences from working with Chiefs and then from your relationship with other people around the league and going over to New Zealand and those sort of things. And then it's finding your own identity as a coach. And then that is then becomes the Pirates' sort of way of way of playing and their, their own personal identity. Definitely. We... We have our own brand now. Our, initially, as we were, you know, when Ian Davis was here, he left us with a lot of infrastructure in place. And so we 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 had a good beginning. When yeah. So when our director of rugby moved to one side and then me and Gav was like, here you go, it's your show. And we were like, all right. <laughs> all the <okay>. best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here you go. But the one thing, Dickie Evans gave us time. He yeah. gave us space. And he actually, all the way through it, has been very, very supportive. He's unbelievably supportive. And so from a small beginning, a humble beginning, where we actually, first season, we were coaching alongside Ian Davis. We lost our first 10 games. Jesus. Yeah. I I remember our first job was when we were told we were taking, sort of taking over and and we were going to work underneath Ian. Our first job was to get rid of the third of the players and most of them were the players that we played with. That was one of my first things. Never done a contract, sitting in a room, telling Joe Atkinson, mate, we can't afford to keep you. What do you think that was like? And then saying to him, when you're ready, I'll come around for a cup of tea because that's the only way I could handle it. Here's the truth. We can't afford you no more. But as a mate, I'm going to come around and we're going to talk through anything you want to talk to when you're calm because the emotions, massive. Imagine just that. And so doing that for the top 30 of your squad, which were the senior players, which were the players I played with, players that Gav played with, 
So that was the first introduction. And then as the squad quality and size shrunk, and then you lose your first 10 games the year after, and you're thinking, I thought I knew a thing or two about that. But tactical, tactical, ta- see, coaches think tactically and technically they know all sorts of stuff and it's going to it's gonna sort the world out. It sorts nothing out. It's about people. It's about yeah. recruitment, retention, environment, culture. Yeah. But if you don't have the resource, it's, ha- it's hard. It's, it's hard. also about winning, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> mate. Do you know people say winning doesn't matter? It does matter because you yeah. tell me after three games, when you haven't won after three games, what? is the environment. You could be doing the right thing, but if you haven't won, you're thinking in your mind, I need to change. It might be the right thing to do. You might have done everything right. You just might just, those guys and the coaching staff might be in a a flux, in a change. And it might not be cohesive and and, and it might not be quite working. And someone just needs to say, keep going, lad. You just need a bit more time. And then who would you have turned to at that point, Alan? Because... You're thrown in. You've Ian's. You know Ian's up the road. Um, is there a mentor there? Are you someone you could speak to, sort of externally from the club that that helped you with that? Or have you just because I, I remember playing with you and it was you know you, you know it's grind on, get through it. You know we're 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 a with a to b. This is how we work, and we're just going to do it. And fuck it, you know we're, we're, this is how it works. But you're into ten games there, and you're going. This is not how it works. You know it works. I just kept you in jail. Did you reach out or did you go insular? Sorry, say again. So did you reach out or did you go really insular at that point? I asked for as much help. Like, what do you think? We Yeah. Early on, we brought anyone and everyone in just to have a look. Right. Have a look. See what you're seeing. <laughs> but the one thing I wrote on the board was this. We're working too hard for it not to work. Right. Just man hours. So when I was playing. Right on. Oh, do you know what? No matter what happens in my life, no matter what, there isn't a situation where I, I can't handle it because I remember getting up at four in the morning, doing my prep. I didn't know what sports code was. I didn't know what a spreadsheet and doing finances and doing the budget and trying to work out contracts and me and gathering in an office going, are you sure them numbers are correct? And doing it in NI. What's NI? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and so... It was in the morning, wake up, going, coming in, delivering. And at the time I was playing. So playing and coaching. Playing and coaching. And at the end of the day, then we'd have to do all the admin. So then it would be like doing all the contracts, speaking to the chief exec, doing all the team manager. We didn't have a full-time team manager. We had Jan, who was doing the best he could. He was doing all of, all of like the visas and everything. I was going home and I remember this one night and this happened so many times. So I would get, to 10 o'clock at night and I'm now still prepping for the next day and I would shut the lid because sports code and that and doing all these things, I was like, what is this? I didn't know anything about computers or anything and I would go straight to bed and I did that cyclically for months on end and I remember one day my, my mind just went, I had an old Mac and the license went too good on it and I'd been working for three hours and it was just getting ready like to, to finish off and it, and it went boom. All my work went, fuck. I was like, I won't want to swear here, but I was like, what is that? And my missus is looking at me. I said, go to bed. Two in the morning, I went to bed. Straight back up, four o'clock, repeat. Because I didn't know I didn't know how else to handle it, except for just throw massive man hours at it. Yeah. Just attack it the best I could. And 
for a year, my missus said, you weren't even in the room. I wouldn't, I couldn't, because there was no other way to deal with it. I was prepping before I went out and played for the next week. Yeah. Gab would say, mate, you've got to get in the changing room. Fuck. <laughs> I'm like, right, Bristol. I remember playing at Bristol. I had to take my mom. Not for me, but this this is why I say there's not anything I can't handle. People say, ah, oh, can you work hard? I can work hard. Yeah. Finished a training session on Friday. I sort of picked my mum up. I drove to Western Supermare, dropped her at Lancaster. I drove back. I got four hours sleep. I got up. I prepped them for Hartbury and then had to get ready to play Bristol. Nice, easy one then. Yeah. Right. Easy. So, yeah. so that that for me was like, when I look back at it, it's just insanity. What, Alan? But we didn't know where else, we didn't know what to do. We didn't know what to do. So that was that was my own personal story about my, my start and my, my coaching, which was I didn't know anything. Right. You got, you got just, your, uh, new scrums. <laughs> you got your 10,000 hours in in your first year. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're listening to the Championship Club Podcast with Michael Casey and Ben Gulliver. Watch every champ game live each weekend at championshiprugby.co.uk forward slash live hyphen streams. And check us out on social media at Champ Clubs Pod on Instagram and Twitter. So, Alan, it'd be interesting, Ben, to hear your take on this. So, you, you talked about as a player and obviously your time at Pirates as well. It was just bash, one into the next, into the next, into the next. And obviously, you've taught there how you've taken that unrelenting mindset into the coaching when you started. Now that you're a little bit longer in the game and you're coaching now, what what changes have there been in how you attack your your coaching role? But also what changes do you think you've seen in the playing environment? What sort of environment are you and Gav instilling down there at Pirates? And how is that different from maybe when you started there and when Ben was playing? Me, and I've got to say this, me, me and Ben played at a time where it was just like more. Get on the back pitch. I remember our unit session, we'd scrum and more for an hour and plus, hour and a half. Just scrumming and mauling. And it'd be mauling and brawling, wouldn't it? Yeah. It's just go. And it and it is happening. And we we just, that's the mentality. But out of that, it's like with Plymouth at the same time. Like with Donny, that's how you had a successful side. Yeah. You just had a massive maul and a massive scrum and away you went. And hopefully you've got some attack on the end of it and some decent players. So the mindset is still the same. I expect a lot of hard work and there's no escaping it where we are. There's no 3G pitch. We're covered in mud half the time. If we're going to go in in the wet season off, we've got to go to college, we train on there. It's horrific because that's where we get all our injuries. So we know as soon as we change the surface, okay, that we're going to damage the players. Our changing rooms were like two cells. It was cold constantly, but it that was the bit that made us strong as well. At the time, it, it was difficult, but it also gave us a strength because we could cope with the travel, the training, the mud, the rain, the surface. It didn't matter because it was happening. The only difference now is that obviously, as you do as players, as we do as coaches, just the systems, the processes are refined. We work extremely well. I'm so lucky to work with the people I work with. It is unbelievable. And people say, I've got the best job in the world. I say, come and join us for a couple of weeks and you will love it. We swim in the sea, we gym together, we play racquetball together, we laugh our heads off, we'll have a beer at the end of a tough week. I've got, 
I work with my mates. Mm. They're my mates. I trust them 100%. They trust me. We got a problem. We get it sorted. You can argue. You can do whatever you want, but we are rock solid. And then the players now are changing. They're changing from like what me and Ben were like, which is tell us what to do and we get on with it. Now the environment's about learning and growing. And yes, I still poke them with the odd stick now and again if they're not, effort's not there. But there's a lot of education go on and there's a lot of discussion. The environment's more open. The training sessions are more directed. There's more, it's more precision around what you're doing. But remember, that's off the back of coaches and environments that, you know, I had to start from somewhere. These coaches had to, there was no level three and fours for them. They had to just get going and start. And then, so they all say, you know, you're standing on the shoulders of giants. We had an infrastructure, which me and Gab then could accelerate off. So it has changed more learning, more precision, I would say. It reminds me of a story that I used to hear down in Donny on our, one of our third pitches out here, there's an embankment that goes down the side. And some of the old lads here used to tell them that Lynn Howells used to make them maul up the embankment. And that was that was yeah. a good Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> Mate, and you had a massive maul. I remember like absolute battles. I'm not saying the ba- they're not battles today because they are. But there was some big characters, big personalities like Nalu and, and you know, and... Um, like Bunny and that there was some big personalities in there that's why I love seeing Chandler still running around he's a I love that guy club legend I think we're going to have love to that s- guy. statue get him on the pitch let him bash it I love it when he's on the pitch loving life oh, he's so good yeah I think we when it, when he does finally hang up his boots we're going to have to get a, uh, a statue or something made of Matt Chalina here oh, he's, two statues there we go <laughs> So wanting to uh, move along, that was that was fantastic. On to I've written down some show notes here, which I'm going to chuck out the window. But I thought we'll we'll try and <laughs> stick to some sort of script. I'm loving what we're getting uh, so far, and I just want to sort of recall a few. And Ben, you as well, some favourite moments from the champ, whether these are seasons, whether they're anecdotes, whether it's games, and then also. You know, we we know the talent pathway within the championship. If you if you look on social media, it's quite quick to tell you how many players are now playing in the Premiership that started in the champ or perhaps dropped out the Prem, went to the champ and are now playing internationally. I'd be really interested to get the thoughts of both of you, maybe some of the best players that you either played with, against or coached within the division. And yeah, some of those sort of favourite happy memories and maybe some of the worst memories as well. Um, let's get the worst, well, not the worst, but a funny one. Me and, me and Paige were chatting about um, sort of the uh, the Saris win and the fact that they flew in uh, on the same day. And we both, <laughs> when we were both at Pirates, we um, we, had, we had an away trip to Otley when they, when they were in the league and you get the message in that you're, you're flying, you're flying like, oh, brilliant. That's great. So then you find out the, fl- the flight's at 5am in the morning. <laughs> so I was living in Plymouth at the time. So, and guys weren't as close as they were, I don't think, at Pirates now. So everyone's been within 30 minutes, but it was a few from like an hour. We're flying from Newquay. And then you, you jump on the plane at five in the morning and think, yeah, I'll get a bit of a, a, bit of a, a, bit of a nap. And, and you don't. You land at, we landed at Leeds Bradford Airport. We then get a bus, which was late, obviously. They get a bus <laughs> to a pub where we have, we don't even have breakfast, do we, Paige? We, we just had sandwiches. <laughs> Sandwich in a pub. Sandwiches in a pub, getting changed and strapped in a pub like half an hour outside of Otley. And then, and then we, uh, you know, get the coach into Otley. We actually won. We won with a bonus point. I can remember the game quite clearly. We won quite well. And 
just thinking, brilliant, back on the back on the bus, back on the plane, home at midnight. And uh, I can remember going into the into the review, and it was sort of, and it's, I don't want to like sound like I'm slagging coaches off or anything, but it was just a funny funny week because they're like, we've given you everything, and you <laughs> you let them back in the game, and it's like, oh, it was one day, guys, but we'll we'll take the five points and move on. But it's just. There's, there's stories like that at every club that you think you know, know what you're doing, but you probably were better off going up on a bus the night before. Oh, ab- absolutely. I remember that day and I had a belly full of black pudding because I went around the corner for a full English <laughs> breakfast. You know what I mean? It's like, but they didn't know, did they? Like, no. like oh, we're flying. So you've got to win. Yeah. You know, they just they, they didn't know. It's just different, isn't it? And it's like you said, it's we you don't know until you know, do you? Exactly. Yeah. On paper, that looks great. But yeah, I suppose sort of back back to your question, Mike, you sort of like the players that sort of stick to mind, a lot of them are from my time at Pirates. You know, we had a we had a great team down there. And I think it was my second year uh when we, we won the BNI Cup and then the following year we made the champ final and, and there was a real sort of collective um, drive to get to where we wanted to get to and but also there were some talented players there and like Pay was saying earlier in, in the chat that the, the amount of hard work that went into that was was real it was full on uh, but we got the rewards and what's great is you you look at a team sheet there's a few team sheets knocking around this week of, of the Donny Pirates games over the years and there's 17, 18 players on these lists that have gone on to play Premiership Rugby and the Championship's been a real part of that journey and it's it's not a one or two games it's a it's a season two seasons and these guys have grafted away and learned their trade and they've gone on to to great things in in the in the premiership yeah so in terms of that development pathway what do you think it is that the championship provides players to either enable them to make that step up to premiership or to bounce back say if they've come out of an academy and got back in i think from my perspective it's like you can either be at school learning or you can be on the job learning, okay? Or you can be on the building site learning and we're the building site. We're like, ego lad, get on with it. Or what happens here and you've got a load of blokes around you and you, you, you're looking around trying to find your place. And I think it exposes people, players, coaches to reality. What are you like after? What are you like as a player after 10 games? What are you like after 30 games? What are you like after three seasons? And you've had to be in a dogfight. You've been on the mud. You've been, you know, uh, at the the back end of an absolute hiding, you know. Um, you, you, you've experienced so many different factors. What you're not is you're not just in a gym coming out, playing a handful of games in a season. And I think... There is absolute value in that. And some guys don't have the same trajectory. You know, we know some guys will move on very quickly. Um, Other guys just need a little bit of time and they need growth. And the way they get that is playing, training, dealing with injuries, dealing with disappointment, fighting against uh, someone else who's got your shirt. And And I think the league has absolute value in creating good, robust rugby players mentally and physically because of the nature of the competition. And also the, the, the outcome and the product is fantastic. You know, if, you know, look at me and you, Paves, and we've, we spent all of our lives playing championship rugby um, and there's nothing wrong in that, is there? That's what an achievement that is and it's it's fantastic. And I think now, if I, I've watched a couple of games on, on the streaming and the product and the type of rugby that's being played is of a very high standard and very watchable. 
Absolutely. And I, and I think that's because there's there's an extreme, extremely good structure in terms of the league. Mm. I think there's good coaching yeah. and there are a lot of very good players and some exceptional players in, in and amongst that and a range of older guys and younger guys and a couple of foreigners. And, and, mm. and I think... You know, the actual product and the surfaces are getting better as well, you know. Even your place. <laughs> Even our place, which adds. It, so it, yeah. as, there's, as there's more, the, the, only th the only thing that is difficult. So if it was funded, and I don't want to go on about for, for uh, us as a league, but if it was funded properly, it would mean that there would be better retention of players, better development, more coaches, more specialism. The brand of rugby would increase. People could have better surfaces because they'd be able to obviously budget for those things. The facilities would be better. So you would have an extremely good product. I mean, it's good at the moment, but it would be even better. Something to be, you know, you, you, would, you would pay your money to watch. So I, I just think it just requires a level of investment to push it to the to the next level. Um, but I think there's a good product because there's a lot of good people involved. And I, I said this to Mike the other day about, about the potential in the future of the championship. And you're almost in a, this, this season, you've got a period of games over the summer. Now, this is a right curveball and it's just me off on one, but... If the if the product works, obviously there's no supporters this year. But if the streaming is good and people are interested in the league, the potential could be scoped to move the championship to a summer league, and then you've got the pitch. The pitches are better all year round, and it's just an idea. And then you're not competing with like down Pirates, where you know your, your Choro supporters that maybe go up to Chiefs. But if there's a game at the weekend, that may come down to Pirates and watch it instead. So there's potentially, you know, there's there's a little bit of outside thinking that could be done around the league. Be interested. I, sorry. No, 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 you continue, sorry. I was going to say, just to sort of expand on that, the, the, the funding issue is obviously something that, that has been well documented and we don't need to beat around the bush. It is obviously a massive challenge. Even before COVID, the, the reduced funding for the RFU this year has presented huge challenges. And, you know, we've, you've talked about Dickie Evans, we've got Steve Lloyd and Tony DeMulder here at Doncaster and, and other benefactors without them many clubs would would be in a, a really really tight situation so there's a question i want to toss out is it just better funding that the championship needs to flourish or is there more we can do i know ben's suggestion there about summer rugby what do you think the league needs is it is it a tv deal is it better coverage or does it all just stemmed from that financial input i think everything i think it requires a rethink it needs to be sorry it it needs to be um, rethought, rebranded. And I think ultimately you need the finance, but that finance is only going to come if people feel there's value in the product. Yeah. So I think if we continue down this path, the product's going to get more devalued and the funding is going to get less and less. Whereas if we can get creative, what, what Ben's saying there, if we can get creative and we can get out and we can find new investment, I think there's an exciting opportunity for the league. Um, yeah, so I, I, I think all of all of the above, above, really. I don't think there's one solution, but the one thing is clear that we've got to think outside the box now. Sure. Um, let's talk about this season then. And um, I guess there's been a set of circumstances thrust upon us because of the lack of fans. But the uh, I want to talk about the format. I want to talk about streaming and I want to talk about how it's going so far. Um, for those that don't know, of course, we are in a, a truncated season, which means, you know, we're going into this weekend three games down. 
you're a third of the way through almost the, the, the regular season. What have you made of the 2021 campaign so far, Alan? Or has it just been a case of we're just so glad to get back playing rugby after the last year that we've had? So for us personally, we said, look, we need to bring some meaning to this year. Because why? I talked about the difficulty of getting to the start point. We said as a group, we said, look, we've got to bring meaning to, to this now. We can't just go, oh, you know, thank God the league started. You know, what's helped us, though, is because our squad size has shrunken down to a point where we're like, oh, you know, we are, as, as a lot are, shaky in certain areas. The shortened league suits us. Because it means we can put our player resource, our, you know, our 22, 23 players, we can get them on the pitch every week. And then like when once we've played Donny this weekend, we got a week off. It gives us time then. Okay, now we're playing Ealing. So we build back again. We're building up psychologically, physically for that, that challenge. This is the thing about when the league is not funded properly. Can you do that at game 22? Because what of, happens when you've lost your two centres and like we have, we've lost our tens. What how are you going to cope? What are you going to do? And so there's a there's a wider there's a wider question there about obviously looking after the well-being of the players and obviously the club's been able to sustain a campaign. I think this is great. It's a shortened campaign. Everyone's in it. We're in it. <laughs> Look at you know, Sarri's Sarri's <laughs> man's in our league. <laughs> You know, and we're all in it. We're playing, we're playing, right, this week against you guys, against Donny, right? We're both in it. It what meaning is that we're gonna come out, it's gonna be on fire, you're gonna get guys rutting against each other. Big prize at the end of it, you know, it's a playoff opportunity. You know, yeah. obviously Ealing are extremely strong, and, and obviously Saris are extremely strong, and they're only gonna get stronger, but we're in it. Yeah. So I just love the format. Maybe by luck and judgment, but I just think let's get let's fire into it and and let's bring some excitement to it and let's and 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 just our one we managed to bloody Sarri's nose. Well, at least that gave some focus to the league to say, look, we got value. Imagine when we get to those later stages. I bet our I bet our game on on the weekend is going to be brilliant. Yeah, I know. So I, I'm I'm delighted with that answer, Alan, because I know from a personal perspective, obviously a vested interest. Um, commercial media up here at Doncaster Knights, but I think the jeopardy of everything is so interesting with the season that we've got. And obviously, okay, there's no relegation this year, but I think that each team know that each win is it's twice as important as it is in a normal season because there's yeah. half as many games. And like you say, we're going into we've been completely blowing the horn up here in Donny. We're three games unbeaten. Like that, if in a normal season, that's like being nine games unbeaten, isn't it? And obviously we're going <laughs> yeah. head to head with head to head with your mob on Saturday. And all of a sudden the winner of that are they getting talked about in the same breath as uh, as, as Ethan and, and Saracens? You know, that's just ridiculous yeah. in itself, but it is fantastic. So I hope that enthusiasm carried across the, with other teams. I think it is obviously we've uh, we've been to Ampton, we've had Coventry come to us, been to Hartbury, and I think the streaming as well, the fact that every game is now televised for those that want to, want to watch it, there is that availability of championship would be there for those that want it. So I think it's, look, it's a circumstance that's been thrust upon us and we haven't had a choice about it. But I, I, I have to admit, I'm a fan of the 2021 uh, structure. Agree. And, and I just want to also add, like we played uh, Richmond a, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and you know what? That was a tough old game away. I mean, it really was. But I just wanted to commend every team in the championship, you know, to putting a side out. 
getting it all together, like bringing it all in, trying to get a squad. Saris has arrived in a league that is under a lot of stress and it just goes to show 23 lads on a pitch ain't going to make it easy for you. It doesn't matter if they've had one week prep or they've had, you know, four months prep. It doesn't matter because it's exciting. There's something to play for. You've got good quality lads on the field. So I, I just think as we get out of, you know, th- this month into next, I think the excitement's going to build. I really do. And I think you're going to see some terrific numbers on the streaming. I do hope so. It's, I, I think, as you say, particularly once it gets towards that sort of later stages, particularly if sides like Pirates, like Donny, if they can keep up this, <laughs> this, this strong yeah. form, yeah, exactly. all of a sudden, you know, every time Saracen's set foot on the pitch, it's, it's going to be interesting. Obviously, at Doncaster, we, we had the, the pre-season tournament with uh, Ealing and Saracens. And I, I don't know about, about you guys, but I kind of thought before that first Ealing Saracens game, I was like, look, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't look too far past Ealing here. They've recruited incredibly. You know how strong they've been in this division for the yeah. last couple of seasons. But I saw the reaction on social media, on YouTube to that 27-26 win that Ealing got. And I was like, I can't remember a time that a, champion, a result between two championship teams was generating this sort of focus, which is fantastic yeah. in itself. Yeah, definitely. It's amazing, yeah. So we'll go through a bit more of these teams. Obviously, we are now going into to round four. And uh, one thing I'd kind of, I think you alluded to it a little bit earlier, Alan, is a bit of a doff the cap of how teams have managed to adjust and change to the circumstance. Ben, you talked about uh, Bedford, uh, another one of your, your ex-sides who have uh, developed this link with Saints and that's sort of their, their business model going forward. They're going to utilize that link quite strongly. I know that uh, Nottingham up near us are now working very closely with local sort of employers to get uh, their players into a sort of dual role whereby they're still playing at championship level rugby, but they're also looking at getting their sort of their first feet within it, within to uh, em- employment there as well. Has there been, so what do you make of the way that clubs have adapted to the, the circumstances that they've been uh, handed for the, for the new season? If I, so I sort of, like you say, I've, I have good connections around the clubs. <laughs> Uh, through through playing for them all, um, but sort of the ones that I know fairly well. So I know the Coventry story fairly well, fairly well because my old man works there still. He's team manager there, and I only know this because on a Friday he is so stressed with registrations, and it's sort of their their models changed. They lost seventeen players uh, through at the, at the start of COVID, and it was a really difficult situation for them to manage and letting those guys go is, is not what anybody wanted because they were on their own pathway beating Donny away last season this time last year and looking like they're going to be one of the big hitters now they've had to rip the whole squad apart and then and then their model now is very much around um a core group of players their own academy which they've got good links in and around the midlands i think geographically it helps being where they are because uh, there's a bit more you know you, you can travel to country a little bit easier than say pirates but their, their model has changed and they've got a lot of DR boys, but then it, it seems to be working and the younger group of players that now will probably see them through the next three seasons and they're getting this exposure this year, which will help their development, but also help Coventry on their on their, their journey. So that's just just one story. You know, Coventry's come a whole whole new squad, but a lot of dual reg and loan players. Uh, I know Amtel are quite similar with their guys, um, but it's, um, it's a tricky balance, I think. And I think there's... Um, there's a lot more, everyone's a lot more receptive to bringing players in from other clubs now than they maybe were when, when towards the end of my career. You know, if you think of the last three years, you, you do get players like Paisel get guys from some from Wasps, 
um, it, or, or sale or wherever. And it's there's an ex, there's an acceptance of it. And these guys need their rugby, but it also it benefits the Pirates, but it also benefits the player coming down into the squad. Has it um, had any effect? I know you talked about what you had to do over the summer in terms of taking the lads on that individual journey, but did you see your recruitment policy change uh, this summer, Alan? Yeah, I mean, we we were lucky. We were able to keep the body of the squad together, and that was that's our uh, that's our strength. We have a number of local lads um, that have performed at a very high level for us for a long time, and we've had a lot of commitment from other guys, and so we've got a very stable core group. So even though we did ha- we did shrink, we shrank to something that I felt was manageable for, for this competition, perfect for this competition. And then we brought in guys in and around it who were looking for experience. Uh, we got some, you know, young talented lads from, from Exeter who were pushing very hard. So that was, that was great. So that's how we filled the, the squad out. I don't think everyone was in such a lucky position. Um, some guys had to just rip up what they thought was the the model and go for a different model. Some guys, I know Amp Till, for example, didn't know what they were doing for a very, very long si- time and had to then put everything together. And I, I, th- I think the league has been stressed to its capacity. I don't think it could have taken much more as a, as a, as a collective. But again, we talk about every team being in a unique situation. I think some guy, some teams have weathered the storm extremely well, like Elin. And then you've got a group that are like us and Donny that have done relatively well and kept the shape. I know Donny's had some, some change, uh, but I think you've navigated that really well. And then I think there are some teams that have, have, have really found it tough. I, I know not in good particular, but found it tough. I know Cov have found it tough. Amptill have found it tough. So I think those are the guys who've got to be commended on their ability just to change that very quickly and just get the product on the pitch and get the guys playing again. Um, I'd be interested to see how you guys answer this, but how good do you think the ceiling side is? Obviously, we're three games into the season now. They've uh, posted 50-point scores. Uh, I know so we saw them pre-season look very, very effective. Do you do you think there's a, a squad there that has the legs perhaps to achieve what is ultimately obviously their their ambition down there in West London? Yeah, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll jump in, I'll go first. I'll be I'll be I'll be brief with this. I think I think the fact that they've they've got so much infrastructure in place. Like if you go down, they've they've obviously got their two 4G pitches. They've now building a new training facility. They've got links with Brunel University and driving that pretty hard, which then flows into their academy. They've got the player resource. They've got the uh, coaching resource. Um, and they've obviously got a backer who's fully committed and financially has the resources to keep pushing them. They've got more stability this season than they have previously. So I think they're as well positioned as any team outside of the Premiership could be. Mm. I don't think I've got much more to add to that than Dave's. <laughs> I, I spoke to Phil Bolton at, at Coventry and then and then Tommy Paul Turner at uh, Amtel recently, and um, they both mentioned that both both their games they were both they were both in the game at halftime and then sort of second half you know uh, Elin has blown them away but the, the score line from the outside doesn't tell the full story and, and it's, it's testament to the league again is that the, the guys you know the, your amateurs 
and your Kovs will only get better. Unfortunately, you're not going to play them again, but towards, you know, they're on their own journey and they're sticking in there for 50. So come sort of game week seven, eight, nine, Ealing, you know, Pirates, Donny, they're going to be playing teams that are, have been together a bit longer and the games are going to be even tougher for you guys. I agree. And I, and I think Ealing, the, just the foresight, I know, I know Ben Ward um, really drove the the ambition of the club and the league to get to get going and to continue and and I actually you know commended him for it because I think I think it was a difficult position he obviously we all have an interest in it happening but they they managed to grow in a period of time where it got very difficult and that's 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 a club who are who are ambitious very ambitious and I think um yeah their their preparation was also good you know beating Saris twice you know, obviously having that, uh, creating a competition uh, with Doncaster as well, I think that's very smart. I think it was great. It was one of our worries. We were like, we're going to start the season with no pre-season game. If it wasn't, uh, Exeter wanted to help us out, but because at the time they couldn't cross competition, Harvey steps in, he says, do you want a game? We said, thank you very much. We played one game, we looked pretty good. We played against Saracens and I'm going, we got 60 minutes in his ear because we only had one game. We had uh, 40 minutes uh, internal game. Then we played Jersey where the lads had 40 minutes or 60 minutes. But because the game got a bit stop-start with a few bloods and bits and pieces, we rode our luck. But really, you probably won't, and, and I'm not saying that, you probably won't see our match fitness and probably till now or the next the next yeah. few. And then you, you, you push that on to the likes of Cov and, and Nottingham. They probably will start to get very cohesive in game seven, game eight, game nine. So I agree with what Ben's saying there. But Elin, Elin have been very smart and very ambitious. I think that's great. You know, you, you're, you're allowed to be ambitious in this world. And people, I was guilty of it when Elin first came into the league. I was at Bedford and I was like, God, what, you know, what, what are they doing down there? You know, flashing all this cash. And you do a bit of digging and it's Ben Ward and that, that group of people down there want to get to where they want to get to and they're ambitious and it's amazing. What's wrong with that? It's brilliant. And, you know, over the years now, they've got systems and they've got... They're premiership ready, aren't they? You'd say, you know, as a, as a sort of facility and as as a group, they they are sort of, you know, arguably they'd have a better setup than some of the guys within the premiership. But um, I think it's I think it's great that they're ambitious, and I think it should be commended that they that they are, and they're and they're bold and they're brash about saying where they want to get to. It's 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 great. Uh, I'm sure many fans, certainly down in uh, your neck of the woods, Alan, will will say that you, you've ticked off sort of the, the biggest dream that any sort of Pirates fan could hope beating Saracens in week one. But for the rest of the season now, what would what would con- what would define success for you? What are you hoping apart from battering us on Saturday? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah, no, I I know the realities of this league. I know it too well. I mean. I've had my nose bloody too many times to to ever think we'd go anywhere and have a right for anything. Like we gotta fight for everything we 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 get. My my dream is to make that final. Our dream as a club is to bring meaning and get to that final and and give it everything we got to the last man. Um and and I think we have to be bold and ambitious. And why not? And why not? Ten games, let's go for it. Like Donnie will, let's go for it. Let's just, let's be bold. Let's think about it. Even inside, there's a little bit of you that goes, are we good enough? Have we got the squad size? Nah, let's get rid of that. 
Let's get the lads on the field and let's have a look at it. Week to week, let's have a look at it and let's get to that play. Let's have a go. Let's have a go. And then you just never know. You never know. And I think that's where we are as a club is we're just saying, let's get there. Even if it's a dream, let's just have a go at it. It's the first time since since I've stopped playing that I want to play again. Yeah. Get me down there. We want to come down to training tomorrow, mate. You got me all fired up here. I, I, that, listening to that almost <laughs> enough to convert me to a Pirates fan, Alan. And I think, to be honest... <laughs> but I, then, then you've got this eight-hour bus trip and all that. I don't fancy that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gents, I think that's a, as good a spot as any for us to call it a day. I think we've covered some fantastic things there. Alan, thank you very much for your time today. Good luck with every game in the season except this Saturday. <laughs> and, uh, ben, thank you as well. I'm looking forward to us sort of progressing this a little bit further. And for you listening, I'd urge everyone at championshiprugby.co.uk forward slash live hyphen streams get into the games as a full complement of fixtures this weekend. Obviously, Six Nations is now out of the way. So pick your game, support your local championship club or support another championship club. We'll hopefully be back in a week's time. Find us on Twitter. It is Champ Clubs Pod. I'll say that again, at Champ Clubs Pod. And uh, we look forward to seeing you all again soon. That was the Championship Clubs Podcast with Michael Casey and Ben Gulliver. Watch every champ game live each weekend at championshiprugby.co.uk forward slash live hyphen streams. And check us out on social media at Champ Clubs Pod on Instagram and Twitter.